And God is doing great things in our midst, is he not? And again, just so grateful to be here with y'all this morning. I have really, really been looking forward to this message this morning. Uh, part of me wants to like uh, play this last chapter of uh, John out because it's been such a rich and rewarding time for us in this book. It, at least it has for me. I pray it has been for you as well. We really only have two weeks or so left in this small book. So we're coming down the final stretch. We're in that last hundred meters of the race, if you will. And John is going to tell us some things this morning as he captures the essence of the entire letter. The essence of this message this morning is this. What does it truly mean to be born again? What does it really mean for us to be born again? And he's going to give us a, a threefold test, if you will. If you've been with us through this series, he's been taking us through the classroom, and he's taken us from classroom to classroom, test to test, and now he's coming to that final, like, all-encompassing test. You know, that test that you got to get uh, and take to get out of school? I, I don't know uh, if you've ever had one of those tests, but they're nerve-wracking. I- I've been putting off a test for almost I think it's 10 years now. That's a long time to put off a test, right? So one of the tests you have to take here in the state of Tennessee to get your license as a professional counselor takes all of your education, all of your experience, and it boils it down to one four-hour test. And that one four-hour test will let you know if you know what you need to know in order to get a license. And I've been like just kicking the can down the road. And uh, I, I was grandfathered in. I hope this isn't being recorded because this will mess me up for sure if the state ever hears this. Uh, I've been like kicking the can down the road over and over again because I'm terrified of tests. I, I, like I have test anxiety. I have this reoccurring nightmare. I, I call it a nightmare. Y'all might laugh. It's not funny to me. So if you laugh at my expense, shame on y'all. But there will be many, many nights I'll wake up in the middle of the night in a, a dead-out panic because I, I'm in the classroom. In this classroom, it's an electronic test. I hit enter, and then those big four-letter words come across the screen, fail. And I'm like, oh, man. Now, see, here in the state of Tennessee, it's three strikes, you're out. And so I'm like, that's, that's bad news for Todd because I don't do, I'm not a standardized tester. I, I, like, you put me on the streets, I'll out street smart anyone in this building. But you put me in front of a test, it doesn't matter how long I study, how much I know, something happens between what I know and my fingertips. It, it's like, like all circuits break loose. Well, now John is going to do that for us. What, what he's going to say to us ought to give us great encouragement, not to give us great fear. And so what John is going to say to us is this. He's going to ask us this one simple question. But he's going to then play it out through a test. And the question is, are you saved? Have you been born again? That's what this whole book has been about. And now John is going to say, if you love God and you love other people, it's a result of something. The result is your faith. And so I want to look at that this morning. I want to look at whether we truly are saved, are born again, as 
John writes those few words. He says it in verse 1, everyone who believes in Jesus is the, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and flip uh, for me flip over but in the very last verse he says it again he who who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God so the question is this to you and this to me this morning have you been born again because then he's going to go in and say to us if you've been born again, then you have this thing called faith. Now, that's so important in the text. It does not start with faith. It starts with salvation, and salvation then gives you the gift of faith. So many people think, I have to have faith to come to Jesus. No, no, you have to be born again, and then there's a faith that's been given to you that allows you to play it out from there. See, it doesn't rest on your faith. It rests on the work and finished work of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? If not, we will spin our tires thinking, I've got to do all these things. That's what John has been trying to say. You don't have to do anything. But in coming to know Christ, then you will go do something with what has been given to you. So he's going to ask us first, have you been born again? And then he's going to say with that salvation, he's going to show that it, it produces faith. And then he's going to show us that our being born again, or our salvation produces love and then he's going to say it produces obedience and finally the the linchpin of all of it is that your salvation my salvation produces being victorious i want to ask the question that i'm going to end the the morning with is this are you living a victorious christian life because if you're not you better go upstream to the headwaters. The headwaters of all of it, you living victorious, me living victorious, this church living victorious, isn't about what we do, but it is going to represent and show the finished work of Jesus Christ. So do we believe that this morning? Let's look at the text this morning together. He said again, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Skip down to verse 5. Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now John is going to borrow what he's already talked about in John chapter 3. So let's turn over to John chapter 3. This is what John in his gospel said about being born again. You, you most likely know the text very well. It's where one of the most famous verses in all the Bible comes from. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But I, I want to look at how we have eternal life. It's by believing in God. But look what John says that Jesus said. Where does it start? This is just a recap of that first few verses, 1 through 15. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by the night. He was so terrified to be seen in public with Jesus that he had to come to Jesus 
in the early, early mornings where no one would see him. And Nicodemus, this wise man, this Pharisee, he knew the law. He knew the truths of the Torah. He knew everything about what was God's word up until that point. And he says to God, to Jesus, he's coming to ask some questions. And he says this in a statement in verse 2. The man came to Jesus by the night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And now Jesus is going to answer what the rabbi or what Nicodemus is asking without really asking. He says he's asking this without God with you, these things are impossible. So Nicodemus says that without God, the things that you're doing is impossible. So how do I do the things that you're doing? Is basically what Nicodemus is asking, and Jesus sees right through. And this is what he says. Catch it in verse 3. And I wondered the tender faith of Jesus when he asked Nicodemus and said this to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him and said, I'm doing. You, you can't ever see what I see and do. And Nicodemus is so confused by being born again, he asked the question. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is this old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say to you. You must be born again. You see what Jesus is pointing at, and it's so important for us to see it this way is this. We must understand that our salvation comes from Christ being born again. The, the same way that the child doesn't, the parents decided we want a kid. And they did what they had to do. Right? And that is what Jesus is saying. Hey, unless the father wants a child, there will be no child. And he's chosen to give you what you have. It's called life. Now, it's easy for us to be like, yeah, but we have free will. Yes, we have free will, but our free will is directed by God. Our free will is directed by God. Faith is what comes after being reborn, not before it. You have to be born again to have faith. You see, because Paul says it so clearly in his epistles, dead people do one thing. They stay dead. Right? It wasn't Nicodemus, and we see this in John 11, Nicodemus, or what, um, his friend did not, Lazarus did not want to come out of the tomb. Do you all know that? He was dead in the tomb. He'd been dead for four days. He started smelling bad. But yet, what did Christ do? He called forth a dead man, and calling forth a dead man, his words gave life into the dead man that woke the dead man up from being dead and brought him back to life. That is what Christ has done in your salvation. There was a moment in time when you were dead as a doornail. I know you were alive, but your soul was dead. And God in his kindness and his goodness shouted at you and awoken your soul to him 
and you responded to that. Now, in our response, we do have a free will. What will we do with how we respond? I'll get to that later. And not later today, later in the text, much later. But we have to start with this. Are you born again? Am I born again? Because if I'm born again, then we see what happens. Let's go back to 1 John. It will produce in us a belief in Jesus. It will give us a faith. You see, later on in the text, he says this in verse 4. This is where all that hinges on these two little words. For anyone who has been born again or born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory that's overcome the world? Our faith. But you have to be born again in order to have that faith. You don't have the faith and then you're born again. So now look at, let's look at this. Salvation produces faith. Faith is a gift from God that we receive at our salvation. Faith is an evident result of being born again. Do we believe that? So now do you have faith? Because if you do not have faith, then you will not and cannot be born again. Keep going. So the question now has to be this. What is, what is my faith in or who is my faith in? I wonder how many people say I have faith. And then you start digging around what their faith is in or who it's in. You see that it comes up nil and void. We find out who our faith is in. It's found in one person in two ways. The first is this. What does he say? He says, anyone who believes or has faith that what Jesus is the Christ has been born again. Then he says it in the last place. He says this, whoever believes or has faith that Jesus is the Son of God. So the question now is this. Is it true for you and is it true for me? Two things. Does our faith show us that we believe that Christ is the Messiah? First and foremost. That's what it meant when he says Christ that Jesus is the Christ. The word means the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It means he is the Savior of the world. Which means this. Do you and I believe this? There is no other way to God except through Christ. You see, if you're here this morning, you would say there's a thousand ways to God. All roads lead to God. I'd say you do not have a saving faith. Because Jesus himself said it so clearly in John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And catch it, no one comes to the Father except what? Through me. So this idea that there's this mountain and at the top of the mountain is God and that there's all these pathways up to God and Jesus is one of the pathways. Jesus himself is saying, no, that's simply not true. There are no other ways to God the Father except through me. So do you believe that this morning? Do I believe that this morning? Do we as a church believe that this morning? There are no other ways to God except through Christ. And it's through his invitation and his invitation alone. Then he says this. Not only do we must believe that he's the Messiah, we also must believe what? 
that he is the Son of God. What does that mean? That he's fully man and yet fully God. That's what separates us from every other religion, these two things. That there's only one way to God, and the one way to He says this in John 10, verse 30 through 38. I, I won't read all the text. I'll just read the, 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 the sandwich, the, the bookends of the text. This is what Jesus says. I and the Father are what? One. He goes on to talk about what that looks like and how the Jewish people wouldn't believe that. But then he says at the very end, he says this, but if you do not believe them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and what? I am in the Father. Now the question is this for you. If you've been born again and you have faith, is your faith able to say, yes, without a shadow of a doubt, I've been born again and I believe I have faith in Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God? If you do not believe that this morning, you do not have a saving faith. If you do not believe this morning that there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ, you are not saved. Now, you can throw rocks at me, you can stone me, you can crucify me. I'm just preaching God's word to you. The world is going to tell you a lot of different things than what I'm telling you this morning. But this is the truth. There is no other way. And now he's going to say, because of that faith, because of what that is producing in you, because of that belief, then something has to happen in you. And when something happens in you, then what happens in you has to play out outside of you. So now he's going to say this. He's going to say, your being reborn that gives you faith in your salvation, it must produce something in you and me. What did he say it must produce? It says this in verse 1. Everyone who what? Loves the Father, loves whoever has been born again or born of the Father. So the first thing that we see is this. Salvation produces love. Love for God and love for other people. Now I've been preaching on this for the last several weeks here, so I won't spend a ton of time on that this morning, but this is the next thing. Do you love God? Do you love the things of God? Do you love who God is? Are you captivated by God? Are you in awe of God? Are you in wonder of God? Do you love God? Because if you don't love God, you won't love other people. And John also says if you don't love other people, you don't love God. So we, if you have a love problem, you have a faith problem. If you have a faith problem, then you have not been born again. So John is saying, do you, as you take this test, can you say this morning, I love God, and I love other people. He says later, earlier in the text, if you hate your brother, you cannot love God. You're a liar. So is your saving faith producing a love for God and a love for other people. Are we quick to forgive? Are we quick to let go of resentment? Are we quick to restore relationship with other people when relationship is broken? 
Are we quick to have those harboring resentments come and lay out before God that God would change our hearts to love people? The other thing would be this. I love God so much, I want to delight in Him. Because now He's going to say this. If you love God and you love other people, then your salvation, your saving faith will what? Let's look at it in verse 2 and 3. By this, anyone else like, man, He's told us by this a lot. By this, we know that we love the children of God. And when we love God, what happens? We will obey His commandments. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So if I love God and I love other people, then my saving faith will what? Produce obedience. So now i got to ask my question. Am I living in obedience to God's holy word? Ouch. Which means i got to know God's word if I'm going to obey God's word. Which means I gotta study God's word. I gotta be in God's word. I gotta know the things of God if I'm going to be obedient to God's word. And remember this what John has been talking about is not perfect obedience. Thank God for that. Like, thank God there's grace in our lives when we do sin. But what John is talking about throughout his letter is this is there progressive obedience? Meaning this, yes, I'm going to sin, but when I sin, I'm going to confess and I'm going to keep heading in the same direction. How many of us in our lives, we sin, we get discouraged on our sins, Satan chirps in our ear and we're like, man, what is the point? And we stop being progressive in our walk with God, progressively moving towards God that we give up and we go backwards. What John is saying is if you have a saving faith, you'll have progressive obedience. Now catch what he says about God's commandments. This is beautiful in the text. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And he's like, okay. I I can see old John saying this. Like, hey, don't be discouraged. And then he says this. Hey, his commandments, they're not burdensome. What that word burdensome means is They're not heavy. How many of us think God's word, God's law, God's commandments are burdensome? I'm not saying you like them. I'm not saying you want to live by them. But I simply know this. God's commandments aren't burdensome because of one word. He loves us. He's not putting these burdens on you because he's angry with you. He's putting these commandments on you because he loves you. Because why? He is the one that created you. And being the creator of you, he knows what's best for you. So when we read God's word and you're like, man, what? God, God's killjoy. No, God's like, that's not what's best for you. Like, I cannot go put diesel fuel in my car. It's not what's best for my car. It's not going to work long term. How many of us, though, are trying to live our Christian life that way? Putting into the body what God never meant for the body to live out the body. It's not meant for that. So if you're wondering, like, why does God's word say, hey, it's not good to get drunk? 
That's not because he's a killjoy. He's like, because that's not good for you. Why is it not good for you? Because of what he says to us in 1 Peter, that we have a roaring lion waiting to devour us. Therefore, be sober-minded. It's not that he doesn't want you to have fun. He's not saying don't drink. We see that throughout the text. He's saying stay sober-minded so when you're sober-minded, when the enemy comes, you'll see the enemy. And on and on I could go with the sins of the world. It's not that God doesn't want you to have fun. He's like, hey, I know what's best for you. And what's best for you is to live your life this way. One writer says this about the commands of God and how they're not burdensome. There's three things. The first one is this. God's commands, this is Stephen Cole, a pastor out west. He says this. God's commandments are not burdensome because we have a new nature and a new power within us to obey. It's called the Holy Spirit. Because in and of myself, I'm going to want to rebel. But now there's a Holy Spirit in me that allows me and helps me obey God's word. So it's not my power that's leading to obedience. It's the power. So how many of us are living that way? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is in you that enables you to be obedient? And because of his power in you, you can be obedient. Therefore, they're not burdensome. The second thing he says about God's commandments is this. God's commandments are not burdensome. They are commandments from God and not from man. Remember, this is the whole thing that Jesus came to say in Matthew 11. If you remember, there there are 633 laws or commandments in the Old Testament. And the the Pharisees came along and they they decided, hey, we got to make sure we keep these commandments. So let's put more commandments on top of them. That's when the commandments got burdensome is when man decided to put on to man what God never meant to be put on to man. And so they became burdensome. Remember what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. What he's saying, all you that are trying to do this thing on your own, it's a burden. You are going to be heavy laden. You aren't going to have rest. He says, come to me. And I will give you rest from the weariness of you trying to keep on keeping on. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Where will you find rest from your souls? In him. And in his yoke. And in his commandments. You will find rest, God's word says, in his commandments. So if you're not finding rest in God's commandments, I would say this, it's because you're not living in his commandments. I'm not saying they're easy. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but I do know this. When I find rest, it's because God is doing in me what I could not do in myself. He goes on to say in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my what? Commandment is what? My burden is light. Are we living a light life? The last thing that this writer says about God's commandments is this. God's commandments are not burdensome because they are given and received in the context of love. God loves you. You 
see, my great fear for us is we don't do God's commandments because we live in fear of God, not living in the love of God. Here's what James McDonald says. We were in our Bible study, the men's Bible study. One of the guys that they interviewed said this, and so I went researching where that quote came from. The quote comes from uh, the apologist, Josh McDowell, and Josh McDowell says this, truth without relationship leads to rejection. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Discipline without relationship leads to bitterness, anger, and resentment. You see, if you're looking at God's laws and God's commandments outside the context of relationship with Him and Him with you in a loving relationship, then you will always want to rebel against them. You will always harbor resentment towards them. And you will despise His discipline of you. But when you and I look at God's commandments as a way that He loves us, then life changes. You, you see, when I'm in relationship with Cedar and I'm in relationship with Tennyson as their dad, I'm going to do and say things that are very difficult for them. Like when they're running out to the street, it's my love for them that puts a boundary in front of them. And one day they'll understand that. One day they'll have a brain. One day, they don't have brains right now. They're, they're kids. I, that, that's a that's a scientific fact, by the way. A girl doesn't have a fully formed brain until she's 25. A boy, I think 45. The, the scientists say 28. But that, that frontal lobe piece of the brain that makes rational decisions, they don't have that. And, and what, what Tennyson and Cedar must know is eventually they're going to see me protecting them from themselves. And one day they're going to come and be like, man, thank you that you didn't let me run into the street. One day they're going to come to me and say, thank you that you didn't let my boyfriend or my girlfriend come into my bedroom. Thank you you had boundaries around alcohol. Thank you you had boundaries around dating. Thank you you had boundaries of what it looked like to sit at the dinner table and do God's word together. One day they'll do that. They're not doing that now. They're rebelling against that. But the more that I grow in love for them and their love for me, they will come to me and be like, oh, my dad wanted what was best for me. Do you believe that? And do I believe that about God? God loves us. And it's his love for us that he gave us his law and his commandments. Not that they be burdensome, but that you be able to rest and find life in them. Are you finding life in God's commandments? The last one to me is the sweetest one of all. My faith in being reborn gives me salvation that produces victory. Just for a second, I want to go back to my love for shoes, if I'm allowed. I don't just love any shoe. I love Nike. Anyone want to know why I love Nike? Because of this verse right here. No, for real. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. What John says here in this text three times is this. Look what he says. For anyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who, who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes? Three different times he uses the word overcome or victory. The word victory is where we get the word Nike. That's why I love Nike. 
Every time I put on Nikes, I'm like, man, I got victory. Now, I'm joking about that. But what is true for you and true for me, we have victory in our salvation. But how many of us do not live victoriously? And what John is saying is this. That is not a victory that is coming. That is a victory you have today. It is a present tense victory, not something that's coming. Now, what is true? You will have victory today and tomorrow and the next side of eternity. But so many of us don't live the Christian life victorious today and we're waiting for the victory. And John is saying, no, 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 no. You have it right now. At the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your rebirth, you had a faith that gives you victory. Do we live like that? Remember what the Apostle Paul said about victory. He said it this way in Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized me except which is common. But God is faithful and will always give me a way of escape. That's victory. Yes, we'll be tempted. But no, we don't have to fall into the temptation and therefore produce sin. But you have to believe you have the victory in Christ today. That Christ that gives you the ability to obey is also the Christ that gives you the ability to be victorious today. But are we living that way? Here's how one writer says it. I think the way that we've translated it in the text is a bit off. I know it's for readability's sake. But this is how one writer translated this passage. He says this, because everyone who has been born of God gets the victory. I mean, I could invite the, the, the group back up now and we could just sing victory in Jesus. I don't think we believe what we sing often. He says this, born of God gets the victory over the world. And this is the victory. The one who, the one having victory overcomes the world. What is that victory? Our faith. Who is the one having victory over the world except the one believing in Jesus, the Son of God? So where do we get our victory from? It's not in and of ourselves. It's what? Our faith. And what is our faith in? From the beginning of the message, our faith is in who? Jesus Christ. If you're not living victorious this morning, it's because you do not have a faith in Jesus Christ who says you are victorious. Are we living victorious Christian lives? Remember what Jesus said, just what John said about Jesus a few verses before in chapter 4. 1 John 4, verse 4, he says this, Little children, you are from God. And because you are from God, you what? You have overcome the world for he who is greater in you than he who is in the world. We believe that. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, who's in the world? Satan and his dominions. We have a power greater in us us, that what gives us victory over our enemy. He goes on to say this. This is one of those verses in the Bible like, oh, really? Come on. That one out. The first half of it, at least. He says, I say, this is Jesus talking in John 16, 33. I say these things to you that in me, that means that you in Christ may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. How do we take heart? I've overcome the world. That's present tense, not uh, future tense. Let me read that passage again. I say these things to you, that in me, you and I may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart or take courage, take comfort. I have already overcome the world. So to, this morning for you and me is my salvation producing a victory. Am I, and are we, are you living a victorious Christian life? I want to ask four questions in the way of application, and I'll pray for us. The first one is this. Have you come to know Jesus as your Savior and as the Son of God? These next three questions will not matter. That is not true for you. Do you believe in who Jesus said he was and is? The next is this. As we look at this test this morning of our saving faith, do I have love for God and love for others in my life? The next question is this. Do I have obedience to God's commandments because they're not burdensome in my life? And the last one is this. Do I have victory in my life? Let me pray for us this morning.